to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we are going to talk about a recent L.A. Times article that took a look at life inside the emergency room at Sinai Grace Hospital here in Detroit, and a special program that sort of tries to intervene in the cycle of violence that we see here in the city by focusing on the people who come in and out of that emergency room. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that conversation. Really interesting article. We're also going to talk with uh, the person from Sinai Grace who is heading this program. That will get started at about a half past the hour. But first today, we have been talking for a while about the new law that says most adults on Michigan's Medicaid program are going to have to work or face the prospect of losing their insurance. Governor Rick Snyder signed that law despite the fact that he was a key champion of Michigan's Medicaid expansion, Healthy Michigan, which advocates for the poor say is now at risk because of these new requirements. That is of real concern, of course, to the folks who get their insurance through Medicaid. But it's also a big deal if you're not one of those people. This is a law that advocates say is going to have ripple effects throughout Michigan's insurance system and the economy. Here to explain how are two people who understand these issues much better than most of us. Gilda Jacobs is the executive director of the Michigan League for Public Policy. Gilda, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. We're also joined by Tom Buckmuller, who is a health economist at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business and an expert on the economics of health insurance and related public policies. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So, Gilda, uh, you described Governor Snyder's decision to sign this bill as a betrayal of sorts uh, because of his support for for Healthy Michigan. Uh, talk about why you think that's true. Sure. Well, we were so proud to actually stand side by side the governor when Healthy Michigan, the Medicaid expansion program, uh, was started a few years ago. Uh, and what happened is hundreds of thousands of close to 700,000 people in Michigan who did not have health care before now have health care. Right. When you take a look at what this bill does, it is targeted to the people that were in or that are in the Healthy Michigan program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And perhaps 680,000 people uh, may be at risk. And we'll have to go and jump through a lot of different hoops to see if they are exempted and to see if they will still be able to have insurance. Uh, we really feel uh, very strongly that um, the governor should not have uh, signed this bill. Um, we're sorry that he didn't stand his ground. We feel that this could be Medicaid expansion should be part of his legacy mm-hmm. as a as a governor. And by really doing this, uh, he is really putting the health care for hundreds of thousands of people in Michigan at risk. Yeah. Uh, the argument from Republicans who who crafted this bill and then got the Republican governor to sign it is that this is a way of moving people from dependency to work. We hear that kind of uh, terminology a lot from, from the right. Talk about why you don't think I, that's true. See, this is just a pocketbook issue. I think this is way more about what they feel is costing the state than what they really feel should be helping people. This bill does nothing to address health care and improvements in health care. What it does is create barriers for people to have health care, perhaps eventually. And if you don't have health care, it's really hard to get a job. Or if you're sick, it's hard to get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and and 
you know, two other very important parts of this. One, it does not address the barriers to uh, to unemployment, which are uh, child care issues, transportation, public transportation, yeah. huge issue for uh, for people to get to work and huge issue for employers to get uh, to get employees. And also, you know, there is a there is, um, uh, you know, something in this bill that most people aren't aware of, which would charge people five percent of their um, of their income to get health care. And if you are a low income person, if you are a person who is struggling every day to make ends meet five percent of, you know, maybe you're making sixteen thousand dollars. That is huge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's huge. People will not be able to afford that. Yeah. Uh, Tom Buckmuller, talk about uh, what Medicaid expansion means to Michigan's economy. So Medicaid expansion has been a really positive thing for the Michigan economy. It's meant about $3 billion a year of federal funding coming in <clears throat> to support the program. Um, so that obviously pays for care, um, but it creates spillover benefits in terms of increased employment, not only in the healthcare sector, but more broadly because of a multiplier effect. And and so does the idea that uh, th this spillover is threatened by by this this law, what, how do you sort of connect those things up? In other words, what's the threat to, to Healthy Michigan from this? Well, so as Gilda said, one of the things this is going to do is probably kick people off the program. Um, and not just people who aren't working, um, because people who are working are now going to have to jump through lots of administrative hoops. Um, and we know that any time you make it difficult to sign up for a program and difficult to stay on the program, people fall off. So as people fall off, that's going to be uh, less access to care for them. Uh, it's going to be negative for their health, but it's also going to be negative for healthcare providers in the state. Yeah. So before Healthy Michigan, uh, hospitals in Michigan were, were providing about a billion dollars a year in uncompensated care. Mm -hmm. um, that's been cut more than in half uh, because of Healthy Michigan. And so this injection of financial resources to hospitals has meant that they can now hire more staff, invest in more facilities, invest in more programs. And that benefits not just the people who gain coverage through Healthy Michigan, but it benefits all patients. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gilda, Republicans say this is actually a step to making Healthy Michigan more secure. If you think about the way that Healthy Michigan is funded now, the way that funding is going to change in the future, there's no question that we have a pretty big tab coming to state coffers sometime soon. They say, well, this is one way to make sure that we can afford that, that we can continue this program for as many people as possible. Uh, what's what's your what's your assessment of that that view of this this law? Well, I think you have to look at the Medicaid budget in terms of the whole budget of the state, and um, it, it, we've done a pretty good job in Michigan of shifting the tax burden uh, away from corporations uh, to people like you and me that we're paying more. Uh, of, uh, of taxes in, in Michigan. So I think if you want to look at big picture, I think we need to be going in and taking a look at how we fund uh, important government services and um, not just saying, oh, well, we have to take money away from, from Medicaid and health care away from uh, low-income people to balance our budget. I think we need to take a look at do we have the proper uh, tax structure in our state to support the services that we need, big picture. Right, right. Um, it, do you think that this is sort of a, I guess, a quiet way of just sort of chipping away at healthy Michigan and the whole idea? 
of Medicaid expansion ahead of these huge costs that are going to get transferred from... So see, this is really not such a quiet way of chipping away at the safety net in general. Uh, If you go back over the last several years, you see that we now have a hard cap uh, for cash assistance, 48-month hard cap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's even hard caps put into into this legislation. And, um, you know, we've really seen, I believe, a real attack on the poor in, uh, in our state. And at the same time, we're continuing to give corporations more and more incentives. And, you know, I'm not so sure that we're really seeing a great return on investment for those kinds of tax advantages. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we need to step step away and really take a look at what's been really going on in our um, in our state in terms of funding, as I said, really essential services that need to be um, uh, really addressed. And, and in terms of, you know, Healthy Michigan and trying to get people to work, um, you know, we need to do a better job making sure that we have have uh, good daycare for, um, you know, for uh, kids so their parents can go to work. We're starting to make some some changes in that. But, you know, let's take a look at really addressing those barriers Mm -hmm. uh, instead of really trying to pull the rug out from folks who really with the proper um, assistance can go to work, can become uh, uh, taxpaying members of our society. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Gilda Jacobs. She is the executive director of the Michigan League for Public Policy. Uh, I've also got Tom Buckmuller here. He is an health, a health economist at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business and an expert on the economics of health insurance and related public policies. We're talking about the new law that will require recipients of Medicaid here in Michigan to go work uh, or face the loss of their insurance. Think of the 670,000 Michiganders who take advantage of Medicaid thanks to the Affordable Care Act and Healthy Michigan, which was Michigan's embrace of that Affordable Care Act. What effect this will have on them is one question, but also what is the effect that this might have on the rest of us here in the state, both through uh, the economy and through insurance? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What do you make of Governor Snyder's decision to sign this new law? Does this directly affect you or maybe somebody that you know? And what does this say about our attitudes toward poor people? Do we think that the cure for poverty is forcing people into the workforce? Or is it a more complex issue that requires a more nuanced solution? As always, the number on the phones to join the conversation is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Aaron on Twitter says the decision to impose these work requirements is cruel and sadistic. Another example of our ideology-driven state government. This doesn't even save money. Sometimes I hate this state. Uh, very strong feelings from Aaron there. And again, uh, if you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Tom, I'm curious what you make of this idea of curing poverty by forcing people into the into the workplace uh, certainly on its face it's not absurd right that the idea that a job is a, is an antidote for for poverty but but I wonder what you make of of the complexity of that situation and whether that's uh, an oversimplification of it 
Well, well, certainly um, a job and income is is an antidote to to poverty. Um, but good health is necessary to be able to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at a lot of the people uh, who are on Healthy Michigan, a lot of them have pretty serious health conditions. I mean, first of all, it's important to say half of them work already. Right. Uh, and a quarter right. of them are either in school or uh, retired or have a disabling condition so they can't work. So of that, say, 25% that are not working, um, I'm sure a lot of them would like to work. And, and better health and better access to to uh, primary care to help them manage chronic conditions, mental health conditions, that's probably uh, more productive in terms of helping people work and get yeah. out of poverty. Yeah. Go ahead, Gilda. And it's we want people to be in good jobs, not any jobs. There are people who work two to three uh, jobs where they are making minimum wage who they're they're never able to to rest. Yeah. They're they're really working hard. It's really hard to make it work. Uh, but if, uh, none of those jobs give them uh, health care benefits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and that's something that we haven't seen the legislature or this governor, uh, frankly, over the last eight years, really focus on, right? Uh, th- there has been a lot of talk about changing uh, the safety net or changing social services, but there hasn't been a whole lot of focus on the things that hold people away from work or or make it more difficult for them. Uh, if you think of uh, wages, for instance, uh, focusing on trying to raise wages, this is a legislature that just uh, repealed the prevailing wage law, right? Uh, so at the same time you're forcing people to to try to go get a job, you're saying, well, we're going to make sure that people don't have to pay you uh, a living a living wage. Um, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Michael in Ferndale. Michael, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thank you. So um, I used to make no money because I was impoverished. Certainly my parents growing up uh, were not well-to-do. And I was lucky enough to get an education, and that has gotten my foot into the door. And now I'm a part of, you know, Detroit's prospering, prospering economy. However, I'd be interested to know if we're going to take away Medicaid from people and offer wage. What is a living wage, and is there a difference? You just, I think you just commented on it, but you know, it's $15 an hour really enough to feed a family in a resurging Detroit and not force them out of our community. I mean, these are complex issues for Detroit that deal with our economic resurgence. Uh-huh. Um, a few days ago, there was a conversation that I heard about, you know, the unionizing of the workers that are cleaning our buildings in downtown Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael, uh, again, that focus on, on wages is 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 really key. And, and the idea that people can just go get a job and go uh, earn a living wage is, is uh, I think, naive uh, when you think of what's going on here in Michigan. Go ahead. So there is a report called ALICE, um, which I can never remember what ALICE stands for. It's an acronym, but it's through the United Ways uh, that have put this out. And it really goes through um, what does it cost to provide for yourself and your family, you know, taking into consideration, uh, you know, cars, health care, uh, your rent, uh, your utilities. I would, uh, it is so eye-opening, uh, honestly, for folks. And I think, you know, if you Google the Alice report, um, um, I think people will really get a much better understanding of what does it really take mm-hmm. to um, uh, to be able to go to work and, and, and make enough money to support your family. Yeah. Uh, but he's, you know, he is really right right um, on, on target to um, 
to say that. And, you know, and, and different places in, in, you know, the state cost different uh, to, to sure. live. Um, I, let me just, like, give you an example of, mm-hmm. of if somebody, let's say, was, not, uh, was unemployed in Flint and was a, and I'm just using Flint as a as an example because sure. it really is a pretty good example, and and they were able to find a job in um, I don't know Bay City, okay, and but they didn't have public transportation to get there or they didn't have a car, so they decide they're going to move from their home and go to Bay City. You're going to be very hard pressed to find somebody to go purchase their home. Yes. So this person is, ba- and I've talked to people who live in Flint who have told me that they would have to walk away from their homes, walk away from their mortgage payments, mm-hmm. and risk getting a bad credit report because they would have no other way to to, to manage this right. to take a job in Bay City. So we're creating policies that give people very adverse um, effects. And, you know, why would we do, why would we do this as a, you know, as a society? There's even, there's an asset test on food assistance right. in, our, in our state. So if you do go and you work and you start accumulating some money, you can't even, um, in, in certain circumstances, um, get food benefits without getting rid of any savings that you have. Um, you know, you have a $5,000 asset limit. Right, right. It, again, flies in the face of this kind of policy. Right, right. Again, Michael, thanks very much uh, for the call. Uh, Lori on Facebook says, Republicans block a public option as part of Obamacare, which would have allowed people to buy insurance outside of their employers. Many employers do not offer insurance, forcing workers onto Medicaid. Now Republicans want to throw them off Medicaid. Most recipients are already either unable to work or are the working poor. So we are going to spend millions of dollars administering a program that isn't broken. Uh, Michael Buckmuller, uh, talk a little more about the national picture here in the way that healthcare and the economy and the choices that we made when we adopted the Affordable Care Act are sort of unfolding and that there were better choices, I think, on the table at the time we did this, that might have our economy moving in a faster, I guess, uh, direction? Well, there were different choices. Um, The Affordable Care Act, as you know, was designed uh, based on Romney Care in Massachusetts, a very um, Republican proposal, very market-oriented, with the idea that this would both get political support from Republicans in the Congress and also uh, sort of fit well, well with the existing system. Now, I think it's actually been quite successful. What we've seen, though, is because uh, a large number of states have chosen not to take up the Medicaid expansion, we've seen really divergent experiences. So in states that took up the expansion, uh, we've seen larger increases in insurance coverage, um, better access to health care. And there's also some financial benefits that come from this, because if you think about it, health insurance is fundamentally a financial instrument. It protects you from the cost of medical care. So if you get sick and you end up in the emergency room, you end up with large medical bills. Um, health insurance protects you from that cost. And so what we've seen both nationally and in Michigan with the Healthy Michigan Plan is that Medicaid expansion leads to improved financial health. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People have fewer bills sent to collection agencies, uh, are less likely to fall behind on their credit card. We have lower rates of bankruptcy. Um, and as Gilda said, that if, if you have those financial problems, that really can bind you and, and keep you from getting out of poverty. 
Um, so, so the financial benefits, I think, are very substantial. Yeah. Uh, and those financial benefits, as you point out, are not just for the poor. I mean, the, the, the idea of uh, the economic effect of, of uh, Medicaid or any other uh, part of the healthcare system, it, it affects people who consider themselves uh, middle and, and, and even upper class. Yeah. And also, just get back to the issue of financing Healthy Michigan Plan. Um, I think that your listener with the, who wrote in was right that eliminating this would not save the state money. Right. Because the, the Affordable Care Act Medicaid expansion was a very good deal for states. Right now, the federal government is paying 94% of the cost of Healthy Michigan. That's going to taper down. In 2020, it's going to be 90%. So if you were paying 10 cents on the dollar to insure almost 700,000 people, that's an awfully good deal. But in fact, it's an even better deal because previously the state had a number of healthcare programs that are no longer necessary. Mm-hmm. So there are substantial savings to the to the state budget because of that, um, and then also the additional taxes that come in, both from taxes on healthcare providers, but also from the spillover effect we were talking about, the multiplier effect. So essentially, the program pays for itself, or the federal government plus these additional revenues pays for itself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andra on Facebook says, uh, what kind of good job am I as a 62-year-old woman going to find so that I can afford health insurance? I currently live with my 82-year-old father doing all of his yard work, home maintenance, cleaning, and cooking. What kind of job will I find that will not only afford me to buy health insurance and pay to do much of what I do for my father? I'm too old. For all of this, I guess I will be going without insurance once again, just like before Healthy Michigan came along. That's a really vivid example of the ways in which sort of a blunt uh, uh, tool like a law uh, of this kind is uh, to deal with very specific circumstances in people's lives. The assumption that, well, you can just go get a job just does not translate for everyone. This, this bill, this, this law, um, goes to 63 years old. So Andra is right, <laughs> right on. Yeah. Uh, it is not easy for 60-plus-year-old people to, to get uh, into the job market. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just isn't. That's just a reality. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Gilda Jacobs, Executive Director of the Michigan League for Public Policy. Thank you for being here on Detroit Today. Always great to see you. Thank you. Also, Tom Buckmuller, a health economist at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right. Up next, we are going to talk about a recent article in the L.A. Times about Detroit's busiest emergency room and what people there are doing to stem the city's violent crime epidemic. Also, remember, we're asking you to read with us this summer. Search on Facebook for the Detroit Today Summer Book Club and join us as we read and discuss Matthew Desmond's Evicted and talk about housing insecurity in southeast Michigan all summer long. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.